we have been in the last weeks, which is with Saul of Tarsus. And I want to read a um, part of his testimony, which he gave later on. We've been looking at Acts chapter 9, which is the historical event when Luke records what happened to Saul. But then in chapter 26, Paul is standing before King Agrippa and is giving his testimony. And so he gives us a slightly different angle. And let's read it. And so he says in verse 12, he said, I was engaged, I was journeying to Damascus. Then he says, verse 13, At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up, stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. And what arrested me, actually a long time ago, but it comes again as we're looking at this, he tells Saul to stand on his feet and hear and say, I'm sending you to open their eyes, to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light. That is what arrested me from that passage. Um, said that you've had your eyes opened that here on the Damascus road in the light who is the risen Christ your eyes have been opened and now you go and open the eyes of the Gentiles or really a better word there is nations open the eyes of the nations Now, I want you to think with me. When I read that, that is arresting to me. Maybe it was because of the way I was raised. But Saul, when he becomes Paul, is being sent. He's being sent to the nations. And whenever, where I was raised, when you are being sent out, in terms of a sort of missionary thing or evangelistic thing, you're always, I was always told that you've got to go and get them saved or go and get them to make a decision. They've got to be born again. And what fascinated me and arrested me and arrested me for 
some long time was he wasn't told to do that. He is told to go to these pagan nations and then go into pagan nations. He's simply told to open their eyes. Uh, I, I believe that takes us to the very nature of our salvation and, and where we stand. That This is what it's all about, that we have got to have inner eyes opened. And once our inner eyes are opened and we see the truth, or as the Bible puts it, we come into the light out of the darkness then we realize there's a number of things that we will do, and I'll say automatically, that's not exactly true, but I, I, I've seen something, and when I see something, then I, I have a response reaction. I'm going to do something about what I see, and, and that's, that's what's getting a hold of me here. It, it's opened their eyes. The rest will fall into place. But the problem, the problem is in your inner eyes not seeing. It means you are in darkness and therefore you're not in the light. And you live in the darkness with inner eyes tightly closed. Um, when I say light, let's get that out of the way. Light, when it, it speaks in the New Testament of the light, uh, and uh, we, maybe we won't go into it, but I'll just give you bottom line. The light is the God who, uh, how can I say, it is God's intention. This is the light that streams from him. This, this is what he's revealed himself to be. From him there streams the light of his intention an intention that began before creation, that in Christ, in Christ, he would bring us to the most intimate, and when I say that, the most unspeakable intimacy of union with himself, and, and a union that, that is he actually in me and I actually in him, that is an actual pulsating reality, the most intimate, not alongside, not looking at, but face to face and within. That's, that's the light, the light in the sense that God reveals himself just as the lights are turned on. He says, this is my purpose. This is my plan that you should live your whole life, created life, creature life, and yet so one with me, you're participating in my divine love. That's the light. And that's the end of the definition, as far as we're going today with that anyway. Um, now, he, he's saying here, open their eyes. What happens when your eyes are opened? You see the light. And his eyes were opened to see that intention. We'll go there in a minute. But go back to this, open their eyes. That, that's a, an expression um, in the language of the Bible, which means um, the healing of blindness. It was not just opening your eyes. 
It was an, an, an act of healing eyes that hitherto have not been operating as eyes. And so he is saying that there is some terrible disease within you that has caused your eyes, inner eyes, not to operate. And therefore you cannot see. And he says that what Saul of Tarsus is now being commissioned to do is to open the inner eyes. And once your eyes are open, you see the truth. And seeing the truth, there is a response. Open their eyes. Let me quickly say, because we're using words, open eyes, which leads us to use the term blindness. And I want to make it plain, we're not talking here at all about physical blindness. Um, There is a sense in which physical blindness, I know many persons um, who, though they cannot see with physical eyes, sometimes they see what I can't see because every other sense in their body is on high alert. Their their senses go where my senses have never bothered to go because they don't have to. I, I can see. But when you can't see, I mean, they live by touch and they can feel what I, I honestly, I don't feel. They, and I could keep going. All I'm saying is that physical blindness is 101% knowing that there's another world out here that I cannot physically see. Therefore, they engage every other sense to reach out and connect communicate with that world and and so they do connect and they do communicate and they do know the world that's out here now the inner eyes are not like that your your inner blindness uh it doesn't know anything beyond what it can't see Therefore, its darkness is its world of reality. They are inner eyes that are so blind, they are unable to even conceive of a world beyond their darkness. They can't touch it. There's no connection. There's no communication. They don't know it's there. Now, that's a very different kettle of fish. Um, it's, It's just not seeing, but I know it's there. This is, I don't see, and as far as they're concerned, because it isn't there. And they live in that dungeon of darkness. So what, what is the darkness? The darkness goes back to the Garden of Eden, the great lie. And you remember the great lie? It's very simple. You, said Satan, you shall be as God. What does that mean? Mankind was created for the light. That is, we were created, we are wired to be in that unspeakably glorious union with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And therefore, the posture of human is outward. It's it's looking to the person 
not only the one who created me, but the one who draws me into this intimate union. The lie said, get your eyes off and look into yourself. It's a turning around. It's a self-look, and we might today call it self-awareness. That sounds too positive. <laughs> this, this was a dastardly thing, and, and, and so I won't use that. But it, it was a turning around to find light within myself. You shall be as God. It's not about one who is drawing you into his fellowship. It, it is one that I turn around and I see myself and seek in myself the meaning of life. To, to seek in myself, well, I guess you would call it today in, in the big world out there, enlightenment. I look into myself you know, I, I sit and stare at my navel and, and, and wait for enlightenment. It's in here. So it's in here. I, I, I'm the one who, who am the center of existence. And I'm the one who finds meaning within myself. And, and so there is no God of person. There's a vague it. And, and many of your friends would call that it the universe. Um, which I think is pretty daft because you're a creature, the universe is a creature, and now you've turned a creature. Well, forget it. it it's and a, a creature uh, called universe cannot possibly love you any more than your electricity can fall in love with you. Uh, no, it's so ridiculous. But it, well, of course it is. It's the darkness, isn't it? You you turn inside looking for light. Only all you find is this profound darkness, and that is where it begins. Because then, what I find in myself might be very different to you, but we'll all end up in the same mess. And it's got many faces and it's got many roads, but it's all in darkness and it's all self-invention. Jesus spoke somewhat of this in Matthew six twenty-one. He says, the eye, now he's speaking about those inside eyes, what you see at that level. The eye is the lamp or the light of the body. So then if your eye, inside eye is clear, if you have true light in your inside eye, then your whole body will be full of light, which means the totality of your person will be filled with true light. But if your eye is bad, if it's diseased, diseased with this terrible virus of the lie, then your whole body will be full of darkness and if then that is, if the light, carefully hear this, if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Do you follow? The, the Pharisees would be a good example. Uh, Jesus said to them, it's because you, you say, I can see, I've got light. He said, well, then I can't help you because you think you can see when in fact you're plunged into a darkness in which you can't see. Don't let me go too fast here. I've been thinking about this for 65 years, and I'm giving it to you in six minutes. Look, did you realize this is the state 
uh, of all humankind. This this is me. This is you. It's our neighbors. Um, that's the miracle of what Jesus came to do. It, it's it's in the a new mind. It's in new eyes. It's opening my eyes to see what I could not. I was incapable of seeing before. That's what he's saying. Um, the the darkness, sometimes it's called ignorance, absolute ignorance. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Now, that's a profound statement. They know not what they do. They're, they're in total ignorance. They believe that what they're doing is right. That's what I'm talking about. Um, we're talking about those eyes that see and know. And interestingly, the word see in the language of the New Testament sort of morphs into the word know. And so if you go to lexicons on the Greek language, you will find the word see and know are under the same word because to see in the Bible sense of the word is to know. And that means my inner eyes are blind, they cannot see, therefore I just plain don't know. I am ignorant. Um, we would even use that in English without knowing it, I think. People say, I just don't see it. I don't see it. Uh, they're, actually, they're, that's it. That's the word they're using um, in the Greek language, the see versus know. Um, it, it's, they don't see it. Or again, it's in the epistles. Paul speaks it of the eyes of your heart. Remember that? Or the eyes of your understanding. Uh, don't, they're closed. You don't get it. And so in the darkness behind those closed eyes, you're inventing all manner of crazy stuff. And you believe that's reality because that's all you can see. You get it? And I, you, you've used the expression after some of these services here when you said, I, I get it. You say, I see what you're saying. I see what you mean. We use the term. We're ta you don't mean that these eyes saw something. It means another eye deep inside of you saw and in seeing knows. And that sometimes bypasses this knowing, your head knowing. It's, it's a deep knowing. You know, you've got it, you've seen it. John 1 talks about the darkness. It speaks of Jesus, the light, coming into the darkness. And he says, in the darkness, uh, and it's a, an awkward word there, it means the darkness didn't comprehend it. Um, the darkness just, they didn't get it. To them, here is a carpenter, a peasant from the Galilee. Um, who does he think he is? We just don't get it. Don't get it comprehend it ignorant but also the word has got an idea in it of hostility and it's weird especially if you travel the world the darkness hates the light it's fascinating to me fascinating the darkness hates the light and among people that are not given to sort of hatred 
But I've been in countries where the only persons being persecuted are the Christians. And I say, say, why? Why? Um, Because there's Buddhists there, there's Muslims there, there's Taoists, there's Hindus. No, no one bothers with them. They all come down on the... And I say, why? What, what harm did we do you? Why, why do you persecute us? It's because the darkness, by nature... I, I think the darkness knows that the light threatens. Even though it is love, yet that is threatening to the darkness because when the light is then the darkness isn't and therefore the light threatens the very existence of the darkness and so um the the darkness denies the light because as jesus said if the darkness in you is your light then how great is your darkness yes it's hostile this means and i think you can testify it yourself I, but certainly it helps me understand my neighbors that they absolutely cannot see or understand what is, we know, right in front of them. It's touching their jolly nose and they don't get it. And it's more than they don't get it because that would insinuate that they know something's there. They don't even see it. And they don't know what we're talking about. It's a blindness, a deep, deep blindness. The the reality in front of them is invisible to them. But of course, maybe the, um, the worst is that the darkness has its own ideas. And therefore, the darkness sees, I put, quotation marks because they're not really seeing they're inventing it within the darkness an alternate a competing reality and if you notice you me they will die to defend what we believe is reality and this is how the bible speaks of us humans outside of this wonder of opening our eyes um and i think especially those of you that um would be students that we we have been raised on this thing called a sin nature you ever heard of that thing the sin nature as if you're you're twisted whatever um and, and they talk about the sin nature coming down through the genes um so they uh, i mean i've been with some of these monstrous religious leaders who i mean the the newborn baby precious newborn baby and they will speak of it as a corrupt sinful creature um because of this nature well search your new testament that's not even there i mean there's no mention of that that began with a chap called augustine in, in back in the fifth sixth century but anyway what does the bible say it's all in your mind how you think from those eyes inside how you see let me give you quickly it says ephesians 4 17 the nations these gentiles that paul was sent to they walk in the futility that means aimless pointless 
Round and round in circles going nowhere. That's the meaning of futility. Futility of their mind being darkened in their understanding. And they are self-excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Do, do you see what it's saying? It doesn't say that there's this twisted nature. It says you've been darkened, you've been blinded. And I use the word disease, uh, and, and people get upset. They say it's a lot worse than a disease. Well, you should see this disease. You talk about virus, you talk about this virus that has gotten into the human race, and, and it has blinded, and it brings with it all of this. The New Living Translation says of that same verse, they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They have closed their minds and hardened their hearts. Another one says their minds are in the dark. They're stubborn and they're ignorant. Another one says uh, behavior in the futility of their mind, understanding darkened, ignorance which is in them. You get the picture? That's what the New Testament says. Now this is the problem. And it's a big problem. I can't sit down and argue with this. And go, come on. I mean, it's safe. You're among friends. You, you can go back in your own life and remember when if anybody said some of the things that we freely talk about, if they'd have said it to you two years ago, I don't know what would have happened. Um, but you, you can't argue. I couldn't argue I couldn't use logic to bring you to see the light of God. I mean, it, I, and I speak now to those who would say, I'm, I'm witnessing. Are you witnessing? Because if you're going out there trying to convince people, you're up against a brick wall. They can't see what you're saying. They have this terrible virus of the lie which produces within that darkness all manner of behaviors. And, and you can't, you, you, with, with logical words, appealing to their intellect. It's not in their intellect. It's in the eyes that control the intellect. No. So open their eyes. Open their eyes. It, it's It's... It's now, it's present tense. Go and open their eyes so that they may. They're going to do something. And that's in the present tense. But just a minute, and I'm, I'm sorry if I'm being a little sarcastic here. I don't intend to be. I really want you to see the truth. It's got, he never mentioned a future destination. Opening their eyes had nothing to do with where they're going after they die. Much of what is called the gospel today is not the gospel. It's blackmail. It belongs more in a hitman in a mafia bunch. I'm, I'm very serious. To, to say to a person, God loves you, but if you don't accept it, he'll, he'll change faces on a dime and, and he'll put you in his dungeon and torture you. That's a great way to have a date. 
take a lady out and say, I love you, but unless you love me back, I'm going to put you in jail and torture you. No, see, that's not the gospel. That's the worst news I've ever heard. That doesn't bring peace on earth. That doesn't mean righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The gospel is about this microsecond right now. There's something happening right now, and it's happening right in front of you. You don't see it. But when your eyes are opened, whoa, you see. And you probably will use those words. I see. Everything is different. I didn't know it was like this. You see and immediately you are drawn to participate in what you see. That's the kingdom of God. That's now. It, it, it means that someone, yes, someone is in your life and you do not see him. You do not recognize him. You're not aware of him brushing against you. There is someone closer than breathing and you don't see him not even aware and an entire world that centers in and on that person is happening all around you and you don't see it it's in progress the party started 2000 years ago they're in the dance right now it's going full swing and the band is rocking and you're standing there like you're in Macy's you know it's you don't get it that's what this is saying it's blind blind to the fact that you are vitally involved in this person but you don't see him you're oblivious you're clueless you're living by another reality that's inside the darkness, an unreal, quote, reality. Yeah. It's been invented in the darkness to fit the brokenness that goes with the virus. And now let me say what you're expecting me to say, <laughs> that the most profound of all darkness is religion. I, I remember, and I'm getting kind of uh, personal, maybe aggressive here, but uh, I, I lived in New York City for a number of years. And while I was in New York City, I dealt with what happens on the streets of New York City. I was um, ministering much with drug addicts, prostitutes. Well, you don't go very far in New York City with drug addicts and prostitutes before you're meeting the mafia in some way or another. And we did. And all I can say is, and if you've never been there, you won't know what I'm talking about, but there was something refreshing about speaking to the low life. There was something I found it, I use the word again, refreshing 
to sit on Skid Row or to even talk with mafia persons, um, hitmen. I knew quite a few hitmen. Um, well, I came from New York City um, back in that day. I was traveling. I mean, I've come to live here. But I, I was, in those days, I was traveling. When I came into Dallas, I will never forget it. Came into Dallas. And I could almost smell religion. And I found people that were two-faced. I, I came from people that, yeah, we're broken. We're messed up. We're sinners, you know. I came here and, and well, I, 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 I remember I was in Dallas and I was in this restaurant and the person across there, they ordered Baptist tea. Oh, boss, Baptist tea. I found out it was a tall glass of beer with a straw so that everybody thought it was iced tea. But the hypocrite was drinking beer. Well, I've got a, he can drink all the beer he wants. But please, don't sit there with a straw pretending that's... And, and as I moved in Texas, as I moved in the Bible Belt, I found it slimy. It's religion. Let me get back to New York City where sinners are sinners and are not ashamed to say so. At least they know there's something wrong. They know that they're messed up. Do you see what I mean? The profundity of religious darkness. Because religion uses the same terminology as the truth. But it has twisted it. Twisted it backwards. Because you see, it appeals it appeals to the flesh, religion does. It's that thing turning back into me. You can do it. You've got to do it. You will achieve it. And so it appeals to my flesh. And appealing to my flesh, it says you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to go here, you've got to be involved there. And then you will get to an end which sounds a little bit like God's goal sounds like it appeals and, and and it affirms the flesh it says you can do it you can do it with your dedication come forward rededicate your life to jesus come on drag all your willpower up you're gonna do it you're gonna do it that's religion huh. and it's no wonder that when such persons blinded cannot see and they see you delighting in the Lord. They think you're nuts. And they really should, because they can't see. They don't realize that you're not just flinging your arms into empty space, that there's person there, person who loves you, and you are making your response to him. They don't see him. They don't know what you're doing. Right at this minute, in this place, we are seated in heavenly places. And a person in the dark might come in and say, what do you mean? And I say, it's all around us. We're, it's a room full of angels. We are here in heavenly places and this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They can only see bricks and mortar and chairs. Yeah. It, it is no wonder 
that the scripture makes it plain. The darkness is so intense that only the Holy Spirit can open our eyes. So it says, another one that you know well, I'm sure, eye has not seen. No, it hasn't. Ear has not even heard. No, that's all part of those inner eyes. It's never even entered into the heart, the imagination of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed this to us by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it takes the Holy Spirit. And the word revealed means to take off the cover so you can see plainly. There are moments when the light does shine into the darkness, unexpected. And in those moments, at least if I, I've talked to persons, um, there, there's a, a moment of longing and they can't explain it. A sudden moment when they see something beyond their darkness and there's a longing, a desire. And it's gone. And it exists. There was a time, he said, there was a time I remember there was, it was there. They're drawn toward that. Then they leave it. Um, because I say, and I can understand it, to have one's eyes opened means that my entire world that I have constructed so carefully in my darkness is gone, demolished. Please, we've got to understand that Jesus doesn't come to say, you're doing an awfully good job. I've just come to, you know, give a tweak here and there. No. And it's not because he's mean, nor is it because he's the judge. It means when the lights are turned on, you realize the stupid game you've been playing. Really. When the lights are turned on, you see things as they really are, and it you realize what you thought was real was nothing more than a spider's web. And you thought it was glitz and glamour, but it was only dew on a spider's web on an August morning. It was gone by noon. It's nothing to it, you know. Oh. No wonder. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Ha <laughs> Yeah, bet. Why do you persecute me? Because my presence revealed is the end of your life. A life that is controlled by law, a life that finds its center in myself and my willpower, it's gone. There's a wonderful, terrifying emptiness. I've lost everything. But in the same second, I found everything. But it's there. The false meaning to my life. Everything that I call success, if I ever reach that false meaning, it's now revealed as empty. Mind you, when you had the real, a number of those things can then fall in their right place. But to think that, no, so they're expressions of the lie. How do you open a person's eyes? How was your eyes opened? By the gospel. The real gospel. The word gospel means, you've heard me say it many times, 
gospel is that, well, I call it the goodest news that ever was, but it's that good, glad, merry news that makes a man fairly leap for joy. And that comes from the dictionary of the 16th century. That's what it meant when they put it in the Bible as an English word, gospel. It's a 16th century word. We just use it today, but it means, I say it again, the good, glad, merry news that makes a man leap for joy. Well, when you hear that, but you see, it's not just words that you're hearing, because if you just heard the words, now again, it wouldn't. It's when the Holy Spirit himself applies those words within you and your eyes are opened. But go back to that gospel because it was the content of the gospel that came to Saul of Tarsus and destroyed him and resurrected him all in one moment. Now we've been doing this for the last, what, three weeks, four weeks? Let me do it one more time. Just, I mean, I'll be quick this time because we've been there a lot. He saw a man. (laughs) Have you got that yet? Have you really got it? The gospel, the goodest news you've ever heard, is contained in Saul of Tarsus. Saw the glory of God. And as a good Jew, he knew that meant the very essence and being of God, the glory of God, who God is. But in the middle of that glory, and in fact radiating it, was a man, a human being. That's the gospel in a nutshell. John says, that, that he says it more than once, that if you don't say that Jesus is God come in the flesh, it's the whole point. It's the whole point. We're not just talking about God. We're talking about a God who so loved us, so loved us that he, with intention, became one of us. And when I say became, I mean became. I don't mean he put on a Halloween costume. Nor did he put on a hazmat suit and mask so he'd be protected from us wicked, bad people. He became. God became human without ever ceasing to be God the Son. And and I mean he totally identified with us in every respect. And now inside one with radiating the glory of God, which means he is God, but he's human and so human. Still, though this is after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, when he's gone to the Father, still in that radiance of the being of God, he said, I'm Jesus the one from Nazareth, Jesus, a human name, you know, Jesus, like Marshall or Malcolm or Sherry. It's it's a human name. And God, creator, 
is saying, hello, my name is Jesus. But not only that, I'm from Nazareth, you know. I'm from San Antonio. It's, uh, and you stand there. Have you ever, have you ever realized the gut, the whole guts of the gospel? That's the gospel. God became man. We call it the incarnation. Have you noticed how the lie and the darkness comes to its height when you're talking about the biggest thing that ever happened? Christmas. It's been two things. Two things changed the entire human race. Christmas, at least. I mean, that's what we call it. We, we celebrate the birth, the incarnation, but then the resurrection. And so what do we do? We bury Christmas in a false God that says you'd better be good, you'd better do right because I'm watching you, and if you do good, I'll reward you at Christmas. And we think that's what it's all about. We tell our kids that. We, we raise them on a God in a red coat who is glowering over them for 12 months to see if they're any good. Boy, doesn't that sound like Jesus. <laughs> no, we choose that. That's, that's the time of year we'll, we'll make sure we bury that one. And resurrection, in most churches today, they don't even know what resurrection is. They put a rabbit and eggs in the front of the church, which incidentally is exactly a pagan rite of the goddess Estes, and she, she, I won't go there. It's what we do. Don't, don't look at the incarnation. Don't look at the resurrection. No, because that's the essence of the gospel. God became human. Jesus, the Christ, and Christ, Messiah, means God inside our human flesh. It's, it's what the world never dreamt Messiah meant, but it did. Okay, what, what does that say? That that human that he became, well, that that human he became must be equal to the entire human race and must indeed encompass the whole human race. The God who created us cannot become human without that human being, the one who encompasses all. He intentionally joined us and intentionally stands there the one man who equals all human beings. And he faced our human life within himself. As I say, he didn't come in a hazmat suit. John says he became flesh. He came in a body with all the same desires and designs. He came into our darkness and refused to be Adam, refused to be the darkness, and continually lived by faith in his Father. And so he turned it around, and he is the human who faced every temptation, just as we. But he emerges as the one who never sinned. He intentionally allowed himself to be arrested. We've been there, tortured, shed his blood, be crucified. You know, in the middle of it, they said, and it's, it's there, and it's there in, in the accounts in the Gospels, which again, when I saw it there, why do they keep saying this? Is it that important? If you be the Son of God, 
come down from the cross. And we say, see, they do, they're just mocking him. Oh, hold it. That makes sense to me. They're not mocking him. They might have by that time be with a sneer, but it's true. I mean, if you're the son of God, what on earth are you doing letting them arrest you? Come on. If you're the son of God, why are you hanging on a cross? Please, let's get real here. If you be the son of God, come down from the cross. I say, yes, yes, that's right. You got it. The point is, it's because he's the son of God that he intentionally is hanging on the cross and has intentionally received every wound he's received. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't because he was a poor, weak man with great ideas. It's because he is the son of God that he intentionally is where he is. Then what's he doing there? If he is the God who now became human to embrace all mankind, who is now intentionally on a cross, which to a Jewish mind was cursed of God, sinner of sinners, it means that he chose that death and he chose to represent every person. He chose to take our sin, our curse, our death, Therefore, his death is the death of all. And that's in 2 Corinthians 5 that it actually says that. If one died for all, then all, all were dead, yes. And it also means, because you can never separate his death from his resurrection, please, do you understand this? When he rose from the dead, he carried the human race with him. He's not doing something for us. He is us. He has become us. And we are woven into his history as his history is woven into us. And when he rose from the dead, he carried mankind with him. But if he rose from the dead, then he's not cursed of God. He's not the sinner of sinners. If he rose from the dead, he's not dead. What does that mean? It means that he who intentionally took that to himself has now divested himself, has triumphed over it, and if he rose from the dead, it means that death itself is rolled up and gone back as if it never existed, and all the sin and all the wretchedness that came out of the lie is made as if it never was. It's cancelled. Huh. It... it means I was there, you were there. Very simply. I mean, that's not getting poetic. If all the things I've just said are true, then I was there. The light of his glory reaches right to where I am and who I am. And if he is now one with the Father, I'm one with the Father. If he became a human being. I'm the human being, so he's in me and I'm in him. And I didn't do a jolly thing. I didn't even know about it. Blind as a bat. He did, in fact, before the cross, he said to the disciples, where I'm going, you cannot come. Right? He says, because they didn't know what he meant, but he was going to what I've just described. And he said, I do this alone. 
Just stand and watch. I am taking you. God, give me words. God is taking you. He's taking me. And he's lifting our sin, our curse, our brokenness, our blindness into himself. He's becoming that. And then the father looks at his own son and says, you are the beloved son. Father dismisses our sin that is his sin, our curse, which is his curse. Father raised him from the dead, and that's the end of it. He did it. It's finished. It's done. Oh, oh, just a minute. Just a minute. It's not done. Yeah, but he said it is finished. Well, when he said it was finished, it wasn't done, if you remember. He said it on the cross. It's not finished. That was the cry of a victor that says, it's done, boys. Let's go. And there was no doubt that he knew he was going to go through with this, but it wasn't finished. Well, was it finished in the resurrection? No, no, no. In fact, he, he told them, hold, hold it. Don't get excited. There's more to come. And then when he was exalted, and declared to be the I am and the Christ, the one God, man, human. He still said, it's not, no, no, don't, don't get excited. He said, there's 10 more days. And then on that day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. Okay. I know some of you are very upset now. Not not you guys, we've heard me say that before, but <laughs> the finished work was not Jesus on the cross. The finished work was not the resurrection or the ascension. It was finally finished when the Holy Spirit came. God, the Holy Spirit, who had been upon Jesus, who in fact got acquainted with us, upon Jesus. He came upon Jesus and lived with Jesus his life. And now Jesus is giving us the same Holy Spirit that he had lived with. Holy Spirit. Jesus, that's all he would talk about in those hours before he entered into his suffering. He kept on telling the Holy Spirit is coming. And he said, it would be so much better for you. And I said it like that because that's the meaning of the Greek word, it means, doesn't mean it, well, it'd be a good thing. No, no, no. He's saying, I'm leaving. And when I leave, the Holy Spirit will come. And he said, oh, that will be so good. It'll be the best thing that ever happened. It will be far better than walking with me through the Galilee. The Holy Spirit will be the teacher. He will open your eyes. He will then explain to you what I've just been doing. He's the one that will be your, your convincer. He, he, he will be the one who will guide you into all truth. And you've heard me say that word guide means into un, hitherto unknown territory. He, he is the presence of the exalted living Jesus because you cannot separate the Trinity. And so the Holy Spirit in us is in fact the presence of the exalted Jesus and of the Father. 
So how does this happen? It's happening right now. Um, if I were to just take the emails I've got in the last six months, I, I you, you've used words, and I don't even think you knew they were in the Bible. You were just saying what happened to you. Your eyes were opened, and you realized how blind you had been. Yeah. So what was happening? What was coming? Let's, let's get to what was happening. I was speaking the truth. I was speaking the man who is God who embraced and became the human race. But who opened your eyes? The Holy Spirit. So why did I have to get involved? I've often asked the question. But you see, Jesus, well, let's say this God has refused to do anything without us. He's the God who refuses to be God without us. Look, the first thing Jesus did publicly when he turned water into wine, he had the servants get the water. The servants had to put in the ladle and pour. Why? He could have done that. I know he could, but that's that's Jesus. He will not do anything without us. He always includes us, even when we think I'm not needed. Um, feeding the 5,000. Why didn't Jesus just make a pile of food and say, come and get it? <clears throat> Mostly because he wasn't an American. But um, seriously, he had the disciples put the bread in their hands. They had to got them involved. And I think when he was walking on the water and Peter said, can I come and join you? He got so excited. Yes, come on, you got it. I don't do things alone. And in this opening of the eyes, he uses by intention witnesses who witness to the truth that they have seen. And as they are witnessing to the truth they have seen, the Holy Spirit opens the eyes, applies the truth to each individual. Oh, the prophets are full of it. Um, we, we could spend a whole morning just going through the prophets of ancient Israel in the Old Testament. Listen to just a couple. And they're speaking specifically of Jesus, if we had time to go into it. Isaiah 35, then, that is, at this incarnation of Jesus, the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. Sound familiar? Isaiah 42, specifically speaking of Jesus, it says in his prophecy, you, Jesus, you will be a light for the nations, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. And of course, once Jesus was here uh, and the New Testament believers are talking about what has happened, Ephesians 5.8 he says, for you were formerly, once upon a time, darkness. Interesting. He didn't say you were in the dark. He said you were darkness. But now you 
are light in the Lord. Colossians 1.13, he rescued us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. 1 Peter 2, who has called us. That word call doesn't mean like, oh, come on. It's the word of, of you are called, right? It's not that I called you in to say we're about to start service. No, it means that you in your essential being are called, what? It means your identity. It means when you look at you, you say, it's your identity, how you see yourself. That's the meaning of the word called there. It's called you. I am one. My identity is I've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. So my identity is truly enlightened by the Holy Spirit. Of course, when that happens, you always feel it had not happened before. I mean, you. so, and I'm, I totally understand. When a person says, you know, I was saved on that day. Well, that, that's good. You can say that say that but i give you six months and then i'll tell you not really you were saved in the resurrection of jesus christ when he carried you out of death and you've been in a sleep of darkness and you woke up and your eyes were opened and you rubbed your eyes and you said look what just has happened no it's not you 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 just joined the party. Um, it's been going on all around you. You've been in the middle of the rocking dance, but you didn't know it. And now you've woken up and you thought it just happened. No, when you discovered gold in your backyard, it doesn't mean that you created the gold that afternoon. The gold has been there for who knows how many millennia. You just found it. Do you understand? My eyes are opened and I, I actually, in fact, become immediately a partaker in that which happened in the Christ event. And I've been in such a sleep of death, of darkness, that I didn't even know. My eyes were so stopped now I know. See, and of course then faith happens. People have said, and I probably have upset more people over this, you know, that, that uh, well, I, you know, I, they, they, they say, well, it's if you believe. Yeah, if you believe. If, 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 if you believe. Well, number one, I'd say believe what? And if I listen to much of speaking on radio or TV today, I don't think they even know what. You just got to believe something. Got to believe. But no, believe what? Do do you believe? Um, The the fact is, I I can't believe in the blindness. Because what is faith? Faith is seeing. Come on, think about it. Faith is seeing. Right now, on a very um, natural level, 
I know exactly how to get out of this building. I know it. Why? Because I have seen it. Uh, there's a door out there. There's another door there. There's another door there. How do I know that? Well, I saw it. So I know, because I've seen it, that I can get out through that door. If, if I'd never seen it, how would I know it? So then I couldn't believe I could get out of the building. First of all, before faith, there's got to be enlightenment to see whatever it is I'm having faith in. Many people believe very vaguely in a historical Jesus and that they believe that he was super right, so we've got to try and be like him. That's as far as their faith can go because that's all they've seen. But this seeing opens my eyes to this God who became man, became me, and carried me into the intimacy of the fellowship of the Father. The enlightenment had to come first. After that, faith is not really something of your thought. It's what you, See, I, right now, because right now, because I'm talking about it, I, I'm very aware I've got eyes. But you know, not 90% of the time, I don't even know I've got eyes. I'm too busy seeing. Um, and when you see, especially something of the enormity of what we're talking about, well, when you see it, you don't say, well, I'm having faith. I've got to believe. I've got to believe. Come on. You can see. And because you can see, faith leaps within you. What you see gives you the faith. Ephesians 2 says, faith is a gift of God. Of course it is. God shows us what he's done. And with it comes faith. And I'll say the word repentance so you know how I hate that word. Because it is the vomit of religion. Um, the word in the Greek is metanoia, which means a radical exchange of mind but for the sake of time i just say repent well i don't have to try and repent the light has come on i've seen the emptiness of life and i've got a total change of mind when the lights are on i see as the light sees and i see everything in the light of the light i see my life is inside his life. His life is inside my life. I live in the sphere of him. He is my life. And so it calls forth action, faith in action. And I wouldn't even have dreamed of it before I saw. But now I see it's, it's laid on me. I, I, this is where I've got to go. So he says, open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. They didn't even know it was darkness before. Now they say it's darkness. Well, I'm out of here. Just like, you, you can't, can't oh, yes, I can. Because in the light, I've seen that Jesus, the God-man, crushed the satanic lie underfoot. So I'm out of here. I can do it. I'm free. And when I see I'm free, then I'm free and I get out. I turn from Satan to God. He's been accusing me guilting me, shaming me, 
Now I see he's defeated, stripped of all authority. I'm out of here. Turn from Satan to the real God. And I can receive forgiveness, an unfortunate word. Receive, the word there means much better. I mean, it is receive, it is, sort of. But it's the word which means take that which is mine. Receive, I can be sitting here passively waiting for you to bring me the present. This word means I get up and get it. It's, it's an aggressive word. I take forgiveness, and we've talked before that forgiveness in the New Testament is much better understood as release. I take what is mine, really. I've discovered I'm released. When? In the death, resurrection of Jesus, I was released. So I take it, see. And that opening of the eyes continues and continues. I know we just love it, don't we? On such and such a day, I was in such and such a meeting. Bam, I got it. You didn't get it. Oh, I agree. You got something. You did. It was real. The lights were like a flash of lightning, night in the forest. Suddenly you saw the whole forest. Yeah. And and I'm not in any way putting that down at all. I mean it. Um, but what I am saying is, fasten your seatbelt. There's a lot more to come. What, why, why couldn't he show me everything at once? You couldn't take it. We have been brutalized. We have been abused by religion. And I know that some of you on, on the web are listening to me in, in other countries other than USA. And you've been brutalized by witch doctors and you've been brutalized by various religions. Here in the States, it is their Christian religion, but it's brutalized us. Jesus looked at the people. Let me quickly read it. It says, and I'm reading from the Amplified New Testament. He says, when he saw the throngs, he was moved with pity and sympathy for them. Because they were, and I use the Amplified, this is the meaning of the Greek words, because they were bewildered, harassed, distressed, abused and beaten, is the meaning of that word, dejected, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. You don't realize it. You are children of an abused I was going to say parent. No, your parent is your heavenly father. That's your genesis. You were kidnapped, blinded. What do they call it? Stockholm syndrome? You begin to believe what your abuser says? Seriously, I am so serious. And I've seen it with people. We had some of you here remember Clint. Clint used to work with me here many years ago, and he was here, and he, he works with Child Protective Services. And he, he told me how the, the most gut-wrenching days of his life is when he takes a child out of a, a wicked, abusive family and puts them into an adoptive family. Uh, and he says the father of the new family comes to love the child, and the child runs terrified. Because only father with arms out, he's going to beat me. 
and, and hides in the corner. And, and so Clint says he has to stay there and, and tell the child, now this is your, your real dad now, and he will never beat you. And, and when he puts his arms out, he means he wants to hug you. And, and this is a chair, and you sit on that chair, and you can talk, and people won't laugh at you or beat you for talking. And on and on it goes. This is your private room. No one's going to come in here at night without you letting them come in. This is a place where you're respected, you're loved. And, and as he talked, you know, my eyes were lighting up. I, this, And Clint says, I know, he says, I've discovered the Holy Spirit's work. He said, the Holy Spirit comes to us as we come out of religion. And, and, and the Holy Spirit says now, this is your real dad. And he's never going to beat you. And he's never going to hate you. And he's never going to threaten you. You can. You, it's okay. He wants to love you and love you. And this is Jesus, you see. And, and, and Jesus, your elder brother, he's one with you. And for you to live is Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, he'll tell you everything. And, and do you understand? That takes time. It takes time takes time with me would you realize i'm still learning this people question me because every time i preach a message or certainly do a bible school i re-prepare the entire thing and they say that's stupid because you've done it before yeah i i did it before but that was before did i tell you what happened <laughs> i've lived a lot of life since the last time i did this bible school and, and, and so I bring to it the opening of the eyes of the understanding that has happened to me sitting on my porch. Now this, this goes on and on. I look back to who I was when I was 20 years old. I hardly recognize myself. And in those days, I was already being told to shut up because I was saying things that religion didn't like. Dear Lord, looking back, I, 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 was, I was coughing. I wasn't saying anything. I was just... No, please understand it. You people right now, you people right now, you are now having a witness. And in the witness, the Holy Spirit is opening the eyes of our understanding. We've got to finish this next week. And so, or well, the next time I'm here, anyway. And um, for now, I trust this has adjusted, brought into perspective, walking this life in Christ. And so now the blessing of God, who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, his blessing be with you, that your eyes be opened to see and live and walk in this glorious kingdom of God. So I bless you. So it is. Amen. And amen.